You're listening to Giro Vagando, the cycling podcast at the 2022 Giro d'Italia, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Today we're in Potenza. Hans Krugenberg of the Telegraph. What's happened to the Dutchies today? Is it Dutch National Day? Is it Andre Haas's birthday? What's going on? There's nothing uh, much going on in the Netherlands. Why they should do this? But uh, I think, well, in the Jumbo case with Koen Bouwman and Tom Dumoulin, probably they're very disappointed about what happened this Giro before. So, Tom Dumoulin told me this morning he wasn't going to get in a break. He's a big liar. I'm never going to believe a word a Dutchman <laughs> says to me again. So what I say is also it's also a lie to you, I guess. Uh, no, you, you you never trust uh, Dutchmen because uh, they do always other things than they say. So Tom, you said no break for me this yeah. morning, and then what happened? Yeah, that was really not the plan. I just found myself in there. Suddenly, I was actually protecting Kuhn's break. He was gone with four riders, and they started jumping a little bit behind. So I jumped with them, and suddenly we had a gap, and I, I found myself in the break. That was really not the plan, but uh, yeah, eventually, uh, very happy that I that I went in, and very happy, I guess, that you were able to come back and give him a nice lead out there. Did you feel that he was the most explosive guy, and that he would maybe be the best on this finish? Yeah, yeah he's so fast. <laughs> I know that from training, we did a couple of training camps together. Also, we went together to Colombia, the two of us. And uh, he's super fast and he was feeling good and I'm really thrilled for, for him. Where are we, Lionel? We're outside Bar Masia in Potenza. Very warm afternoon. So good job this is 2022 and not circa, I don't know, 2005, being in a bar called the Bar Masia, isn't it? Um, Lionel, who did we just hear from? Well, we heard from Hans Rugenberg, our Dutch colleague, and then we heard from Tom de Moulin explaining why he told you a blatant big, lie at the big start. Big old porky pie. And <laughs> um, what about Hans suggesting you should never trust a, ju- a Dutchman? Never. Well, this reminds me of a very famous line from Phil Liggett's commentary on the Tour de France in the 80s where two Dutchmen were in a break. I forget who they were. Oh, maybe it was a Dutchman and a Belgian, and the Belgian basically sort of sat on and pretended he wasn't feeling good and then pinged past and took the stage, and uh, like it said, yeah, never trust a Dutchman. Early corrections corner there. Sorry, everyone. I, of course, meant that the Dutch rider sat behind the Belgian rider pretending he wasn't strong enough to work and then pinged past to win the stage, and Liggett said, never trust a Dutchman, which I think is a bit stereotypical, but on this occasion, well, Tom de Moulin was not telling the truth, was What he? a day for the Dutchies. It was like, well, it was like total cycling out there, wasn't it? Like, Rhinus Michels or Johan Cruyff could have been pulling the string. Actually, I vowed ne- not to mention football today because it's a sore subject after last night. Moving on, let's only talk about cycling today. Yellow card for the football mention there, Daniel. We're keeping the football uh, analogies out of the cycling podcast, but you're right, four Dutchmen in that break of seven. Should we just get straight to the tail of the tapper and sum up what happened today? Because the stage went from Diamante to Potenza, 196 kilometres long, four and a half kilometres thereabouts high. A really tough stage in terms of the climbing. Hard as, as hard as a mountain stage, really. Permission to intervene? Yes. Interrupt? Nominative determinism, um, potenza means power. 
Kern Baldwin showed great power on that final race of the line. Starting in a place called Diamante, he had diamonds in his legs, didn't he, today? Last time we went to Diamante, infamously, in 2018, there was a band of thieves that took advantage of, the, of everyone being distracted by the Giro to rob the post office and run away with 14,000 euros. Hope that didn't happen this morning. Well, those seven riders in the break, in order of their GC position, were Kuhn Bauman of Jumbo Visma, Balka Mollema of Trek Segafredo, Davide Villela of Cofidis, Tom de Moulin of Jumbo Visma, although he obviously wasn't really there because he never tells a lie, Tom. Davide Formolo of UAE, Diego Andres Camargo of EF Education and Wout Poles of Bahrain Merida. And at one point the break had gained enough time to make Bauman the virtual race leader, but that was fairly short-lived because behind in the main group, Trek Segafredo were playing a very careful game. They were riding hard enough to defend Juan Pedro Lopez's pink jersey, but not enough to jeopardise Balcomolema's chances in the break. As the stage went on, Davide Villela crashed and had a big chase to get back on. That probably doomed his chances because when the attack started, he was on the wrong side of the split. That group split more or less in half, well, 4-3. De Moulin, Bauman, Formolo and Mollema. And with the numerical advantage, it looked like Jumbo Visma, uh, well, the pressure was on them really because it wasn't a done deal with two good riders like Mollema and Formolo there both of whom probably knew they needed to attack and break things up before the finish there were a lot of attacks around 28 down to 25 kilometers to go on that uh, big climb towards the finish first de moulin then mollema hit with the counter attack very hard around 5k from the top and then formolo went and he was looking good for a while but then they were all back together again on the run-in mollema attacked again on that last climb before the final one to the finish and it was like, you know, one, two, three, wasn't it? Because Bauman responded, Formolo got himself back on, De Moulin took a fair amount of time to get back. And when Mollema was driving it, it looked like De Moulin's chances were completely gone. Formolo had another go, but De Moulin refused to give up and he got back on with three kilometres to go. Probably knew he couldn't win it himself, went straight to the front, did a great turn for his teammate Bauman. But at one stage, it did look like he might time trial away from the others. Under the kilometre to go banner, the four were still together. Bauman kicked very early and got it. He was 12th overall in the Giro last year, but that was only his second pro win. The other was a stage of the Dauphiné in 2017. Mollema was second, Formolo third, De Moulin fourth. Villela was the only other rider from the break who stayed in front of the GC group and that GC group was led in by Leonard Kemner. All tranquilo in the GC group really, not saying it wasn't hard but no real action. Juan Pedro Lopez was in there safely so he keeps the pink jersey. Juan Pedro Lopez keeps the Maglia Rosa. Today we, we are calling it the Maglia Rosa after yesterday. It took a one day sabbatical, it was the Diego Rosa yesterday who restored some excitement or maintained some excitement of the jury yesterday but it was yeah it was Bauman the power diamond of the day I suppose he also takes the king of the mountain jersey a huge gruppetto of 61 riders I think it was they came in safely 42 minutes down Mark Cavendish was in there Caleb Ewan was in there Arno Demar also we lost a few race riders from the Giro today Michael Morkoff didn't start he came down with a fever overnight according to his team Owain Dool of EF Education 
out very early on in the stage and Daniel you spoke to him at the yeah, beginning we, well we got some advanced notice of this not that he intended to pull out but that he might have a difficult day here was what he told me this morning I had some stomach problems this morning so I'm kind of uh, not really sure how the day's going to go I mean that's a shame because it looks as though you've had really good form recently just based on what we've seen here yeah no I've been, I've been happy with how I've been just just something didn't quite sit right uh, last night I've kind of been throwing up this morning so I'm hoping I can just get through today and then it's kind of back to normal but uh, yeah it'd be a hard day I think normally oh I know a day like today 4,500 meters of climbing would it have been one where you perhaps would have had the freedom to go in a break or would it have been Alessandro De Marchi coined this phrase for us the other day popcorn stage that some of the stages for him are popcorn stages maybe I would have given the break a try I think with the EF we've got quite a good team for like a day like this a lot of guys like Simon, like Magnus, um, who will try for the break. Um, and then any, anyone who's not in the break will sit and support you. It shouldn't be as a full gas GCD, I don't think. Bardiani lost Samuele, Zoccarato and Movistar have lost Sergio Samitier. Um, just a little point of business. There were some crashes today. Jonathan Castroviejo of Ineos Grenadiers apparently has hurt his hip and uh, was asking for the team to be on standby to give him some medical help at the finish. He said just precautionary, apparently, on the radio. Uh, I was getting this information from Rod Ellingworth, but Castroviejo, of course, is going to be a very important rider for Richard Carapaz over the rest of the Giro. But there we are. Bauman the winner. Lopez still in pink. And tomorrow is this uh, mini World Championship stage round Napoli which is the second of a trilogy of really important days leading up to the rest day. I'm only interested in one classification, kilometres, kilometre in fuga, and I know you've been doing your homework. I think you've been doing your homework. No, you're wincing. Okay, moving on. Well, well I was going to do classifications corner a bit later on. Maybe we'll do that later. Maybe we'll do that another day. Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data actionable insights and personalized analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. The Cycling Podcast, powered by Super Sapiens. Thank you to Super Sapiens for supporting the Cycling Podcast. I've been keeping a close eye on my data on my Super Sapiens app today. I'm wearing the sensor on my arm. I've got to change that tomorrow, I think, because each sensor lasts for 14 days. But my base blood glucose level is dropping which I'm going to assume means fatigue is setting in I don't know spiking nicely for lunch I need to eat lunch a little bit later so that I'm in the performance zone for the period where we're recording the podcast if you want to find out more about Super Sapiens go to supersapiens.com we'll be hearing from an expert from the University of Verona probably starting next week she's going to be analysing my blood glucose data and telling me what kind of insights I can get and I'm looking forward to trying it out when I'm back on the bike in a week or so's time when I get back home. Lionel question for you which nation we talked yesterday about how Arnaud Demar was the most prolific French winner now in Giro d'Italia history which nation has more stage wins Great Britain or the UK we don't call it Great Britain or the Netherlands in the Giro? In the Giro, more stage victories. Well, I'm going to say the way you phrased that question leads me to think it's the United Kingdom. As of about an hour ago, they're even. Whoa. 31 each. Wow. 
it's quite surprising, isn't it? A nation with the heritage of the Netherlands. But of course, they only won their first Giro d'Italia in 2017 with Tom Dumoulin. Tom Dumoulin, who I'm going to throw in one final football reference here, although we've got to talk about Naples later, so I might not be able to honour that. What a fantastic assist it was by Tom Dumoulin today, wasn't it? Well, yeah, we heard from Adi Engels, uh, was that yesterday or two days ago, after the disappointment on Etna for Jumbo Visma because Dumoulin lost time and Tobias Foss, who I think they also had high hopes for, lost time. And Engels was talking about how the reset had already happened before they got dropped on Etna. And they, well, they bounced back pretty much as soon as they possibly could. They haven't got a sprinter here, really. So, well, they haven't got a sprinter here. So the first opportunity that they had to get a stage win, they took it very well. They got two riders in that break of seven, which gave them, obviously, the numerical advantage. And, well, it gave them somebody to chase the attackers, but which was absolutely crucial on that run-in, really, because there were a lot of attacks. Yeah, and I think what most of us didn't know about Kern Bauman, and you wouldn't necessarily guess looking at him, because he's, he's a very light, frail-looking rider with a kind of angelic baby face, you wouldn't guess how fast he was. And this is obviously an open secret, well, it's not a secret at all among the Jumbo Visma riders, as referenced by Tom Dumoulin in our, in our intro there. So they had quite a solid plan once Dumoulin came back. The timing of that return to the, the front group of three, as the Italians say, he fell like a bean. Um, today, we went through the city of the bean, Sar- Sarcano. That's, um, I was saving that up all afternoon. It, uh, I'm not sure it really, <laughs> it really hit the target. Um, anyway, um, Bauman, what was really noticeable today was how thrilled his teammates were for a guy who, well, he's only 28, I think, but someone who's very realistic about his own abilities, about his own limits. You know, over the past two or three years, he's been asked on numerous occasions, do you aspire to be in the Tour de France team? And, and he always says, look, I'm just not good enough. Um, I've got a 1% chance of, of getting into the Tour de France team. It's probably not going to happen. And ha- has sacrificed himself on numerous occasions. He's also been very unlucky on a couple of occasions. He was unlucky last year at Campo Felice at the Giro when he was overtaken by Egan Bernal when he seemed to be zeroing in on a first Grand Tour stage victory. He has had some success. I was at the Dauphiné a couple of years ago when he won a stage and held the leader's jersey for a couple of days. So he's a very talented rider and by all accounts a very likeable chap. His press conference was quite entertaining this evening. He talked about his passion for fishing, how he's a, how he's quite a big deal in Japan and not unlike, not unlike Franco Neri, the the inventor and with the dispenser of the canola therapy in Syracuse the other day. As listeners <laughs> will remember, Franco had a, well, the, the, the whole media of Japan descended on Syracuse to film him. And Kun Bauman explained that having done the Japan Cup three times, he has developed quite a following in Japan. He regrets the fact that he's not been able to go back for a couple of years because of COVID. Yeah, you mentioned Bauman hasn't ridden the Tour de France, um, but 12th last year here. Balcom Olimar also said after the finish that he knew that he probably wouldn't be able to beat Bauman in the sprint. He knew he was very fast, but I mean, Molimer is not the quickest when it comes down to those um, explosive finishes, is he? That probably explains why he was so keen to try and... Most of his wins are solo wins, aren't they? They are solo wins, so he was trying to get away on his own or at least increase his odds, maybe, or 
decreases odds, increases odds, decreases odds, whichever way round it is, uh, improve his chances of winning maybe a two-up sprint. But, uh, yeah, second from that group of four. I mean, Dumoulin had done a lot of riding. Uh, Formolo had done a lot of attacking as well. Um, but Bauman kept, him, kept himself cool and kind of hid the fact that he was the, the, the favoured rider of those two until really quite late. It wasn't until Dumoulin got dropped that really the spotlight and the pressure was on Bauman. But he rode extremely coolly not to let the other two slip up the road, allowed Dumoulin to get back on, and then they and played it very well from well there. And, and he said, and I think Dumoulin confirmed, that as soon as Dumoulin got back on, that, that in theory often... That kind of situation is ideal for a counter-attack, especially a rider like Tom Dumoulin. I expected to see him shoot past, but actually, I don't know how they'd communicated maybe on the radio, but Bauman had told Dumoulin, get on the front as soon as you get back on and, and lead me out for the sprint. And, you know, this sort of intel, this knowledge of how fast Bauman is, well, on Dumoulin's part, comes, comes also from having trained with him a, a lot they went on holidays together to Thailand last year um, with their respective partners I think and then they went on a training camp with Annemiek van Vleuten to Colombia at the start of this season and Dumoulin um, well he, he saw he said he saw how fast Bauman was there but again you know the thing that really stood out just watching the celebrations and and also speaking to other riders Jumbo Visma riders who came over the line was how thrilled they all were for him Jos van Emden the elder statesman of the team was certainly one of those guys who was absolutely delighted for Kern Bauman. Well, Jos, the other day we spoke about your dream of winning a stage here at the Giro and you thought it would not come true. Kern's dream did come true today. Everyone on the team seems to be so happy for a guy who's come close many times. Yeah, if someone deserves it, it's Kuhn. Just a yeah, good guy, good rider. I'm so happy for Kuhn, yeah. And it was a team victory as well because Tom was absolutely key. In, the, in leading out the sprint but Tom said he wasn't going to go in the break and then it just sort of happened I mean as far as you were concerned what was going on there? A lot of, a lot of things going on in the, the mind of, of Tom so <laughs> sometimes I think he forgets how good he is I said it uh, this morning it, it could be a day for him as well he said nah it comes too early uh, blah blah you know those things but uh, I don't know anything I, I only know that they were in front and for sure they could help each other and um, um, if I could pick one of those two uh, it's, it's Kuhn who, uh, who could win so I'm, I'm really happy yeah. well Lionel Tom Dumoulin has a lot going on in his head he reminds me of you in some respects well maybe he's got a suitcase uh, a rucksack with loads of compartments and loads of microphones and wires and chargers and cables in it <laughs> well, well actually Richard of course told a story about that didn't he about how on one occasion when he went to give Tom Dumoulin the Pedler de Charme jersey and I was with him actually at the end of the Jira that he won in 2018 Dumoulin sort of appeared down the stairs with his suitcase half open things flying out but still had the good grace to to pose for the presentation pose for the the jersey presentation but this is a bit of a, a recurring theme with Dumoulin not only in the last few months since he's come back from his break last year, but prior to that, I remember a lot of riders and, and also directors in the team talking about his tendency to underestimate himself and how it's a bit of a battle for the staff and other riders to convince him of how good he actually is. Yeah, and also as a Grand Tour champion and a podium finisher in the Tour de France, to 
sacrifice himself and, and play the perfect teammate there where he was the star of that break really wasn't he I mean Molimo of course is a really respected rider but De Moulin has that star quality but he played the teammate role absolutely perfectly I don't want to get carried away here at all but we know the Giro is a very long race but he's chipped away at the deficit from Etna a little yeah, bit you know 12 places up on GC back within kind of you know maybe Inspector Gadget arm touching distance of the GC favourites he probably won't be allowed that same sort of leeway again but you just never know in the Giro that's the beauty of the race isn't it one final thing on Dumoulin and his compatriot Balka Mullema I, I don't know if you remember Lionel but in 2017 the final stage to Asiago Naira Quintana was very much a threat to Tom Dumoulin sorry the penultimate stage and Dumoulin got quite a bit of help that day from Balcom Olimar, Adam Yates, and he said afterwards, I will never be able to thank Balcom Olimar enough. Well, some way to thank him today. If you've got friends like Tom Dumoulin, who needs enemies? <laughs> well, I'm not sure we played it earlier in the week. I think it was way back in Hungary. I spoke to Matt White about this stage because I think there was a, a slight worry that maybe it could be ambush territory. The roads aren't all that familiar because the Giro doesn't come inland here very often, normally makes its way up the coast a bit more, doesn't it? And the amount of climbing makes it very, very difficult. Uh, he tipped a few breakaway specialists to be on the move today, and, and Balcom Olimar was one of the riders he thought would be absolutely nailed on to be in the move. And that was uh, back in Hungary when he said that. This morning at the start, I spoke to Hugh Carthy, who is the leader of the EF Education Easy Post team, He's had a, you know, a, a very steady opening week here. Well, he was the last man over the line in that GC group at Etna. And uh, so I wanted to know whether that was an indication that he was feeling comfortable or whether he was hanging on a bit. First of all, how did you feel on Etna on Tuesday? Yeah, I felt okay. I felt okay, by and large okay. I didn't feel as good as I sort of, I don't know, I didn't feel the best, but I think... I said yesterday in an interview, I think everyone was in a similar boat after the travel and the relatively easy first few days, first uphill finish. Yeah, first sort of hot day as well, quite humid and sticky. It was just one of those stages. It's usually like that. I remember in 2017, we did almost the same, same kind of stage. And yeah, it was the same sort of thing. You have a weird feeling. But in the end, I think everyone was the same. I spoke to Simon Yates and a few other people and they all felt, you know what I mean, the same, a bit blocked and uh, not quite ready for such a hard climb, which is a long climb altitude so early but yeah I think everyone was in the same boat you see quite a few people lost time so uh, I think it says it all. How much do you know about today's stage because it's a lot of climbing but it's totally different to Tuesday? Yeah it's a bit of a weird area you know it's a bit sort of off the map um, but yeah everyone has the profile and the velo viewer so everyone knows what it's like uh, yeah not the best roads during the day uh, and some hard especially in the middle part of the stage, hard climbs and hard descents, uh, narrow descents and stuff. So, yeah, there's no, there's no surprises, but yeah, I think everyone knows everyone knows what's coming. Um, yeah, it looks a day for the break. We've got three candidates for the break. Um, so, yeah, we'll send those up the road, hopefully. And uh, in the back with the GC riders, we'll see what happens. I don't I don't anticipate a massive fight, but you never know. It's, if there's a chance to steal a few seconds in the finish, even if it's the last... Last couple of K to the finish, uh, I don't think it'll be, uh, it won't be an easy finish. you got to treat it as a, a serious day. It's one of the hardest days on the, the whole race. So. These three days together, I mean, there's a real change of rhythm for the climbers, uh, well, for everybody, but especially for the GC riders. 
you know, up and down, tough today, really, really punchy tomorrow, and then the big climb to Blockhouse on Sunday. I mean, you've, you've got to kind of adjust and adapt to that change of rhythm each day over the three, haven't you? Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's a hard three days, but I think in, for the climbers, I think the sooner it starts, the better. So you can get into that sort of that feeling where you dip into the race, sort of it's like comfort zone, but people are tired and the fatigue setting in and then you sort of the race settles down then there's no there shouldn't be any surprises but yeah in the next few days it's hard it's a hard area with the it's a warm area and it's very sticky humid and it's not that well known either the blockhouse everyone's everyone knows the climb but it's not the area no one it's not an area people really come to the dolomites or the the alps or whatever so um, people know what the climb is they can see the profile but when you actually get there and ride the stage it's uh it's a different story. It could be really hard or well, decisive. Not so much hard. It's going to be hard, but a really decisive three days. Uh, I think each day lays a foundation for the for stage nine, and there could be some damage there. I think yeah, five years ago, six years ago, we did it, and there were big gaps. Quintana won by a long way, and then it was dribs and drabs at 30 seconds, 20 seconds, 40 seconds. So it's I anticipate something like that, especially after today and tomorrow. Chute, chute à l'arrière du peloton, cycling podcast, team car, the back of the pack, please. That's Seb Piquet, the voice of Radio Tour, to remind me to tell you that this episode of the cycling podcast is sponsored by NordVPN. A VPN is a virtual private network. I think you were using your VPN to watch the North London Derby Don't yesterday, Daniel, that, weren't you? Not? I'm not, sure that's, a, that. I'm not no, sure that's allowed, is it? Well, I'm not sure you've got your facts right there. Oh, OK, OK. Well, I was using my NordVPN to, uh, when I was logging into the Cycling Podcast bank account in the press room this afternoon. I didn't want our, our data to be uh, stolen by data thieves. Not that there's anyone as untrustworthy as Tom de Moulin in the press room, of course. All honest folk to a man and woman, I'm absolutely sure. Um, but you can get a really good deal on NordVPN by going to nordvpn.com slash TCP or using the code TCP and the discount is significant. Uh, it sort of changes all the time, I think. So, um, you know, if you get a low number, log back in, you might get a higher number. I think that's how it works. Anyway, you also get an additional month's coverage free. I think it's a two-year plan you can sign up for. And if NordVPN doesn't work out for you, there's a 30-day money-back guarantee as well. But if you want to browse online safely at home or abroad, you can protect your laptop, your computer, your iPhone, your non-iPhone, your tablet, even your smart TV with NordVPN. Ah, questi non sono cedri? Limone, sai. Ma il cedro quando si trova? Ah, il cedro settembre, ottobre. Ah, e il cedro mano di Buda. Bu- ma ne hai sentito parlare? No. Ah, ho capito. Va bene. Ehm, these are, these are citrons, these are lemons. We, it's September that, that we would find them, apparently. And they've never heard of the, the hand of Buddha. So these, although these are big lemons, they're not the big lemons we're looking for. No, they are very big lemons, very big and knobbly lemons. They're <laughs> huge, aren't they? Crushing disappointment. Um, you'd have to have a pint of gin and tonic to get a slice of that lemon in the top, wouldn't you? The, the glass would have to be huge. We could just buy the lemon, pretend it's a citron, and then have another corrections corner, because this is going to turn into a corrections corner already, isn't it? Because we already made more more horticultural mistakes last night or more theological mistakes um, I said something to the effect that 
these cedars were they were very prized by the Jews and there was some kind of religious offering made every year of the prize citron uh, I think I got it completely wrong as we always do when we mention the Bible well Sarah Elan has written in the email subject title is corrections corner colon citrons and she says that they are sacred to Jewish people during the holiday of Sukkot however they're not sacrificed I think you might have said sacrificed instead of sacred Daniel just a small slip of the tongue the citron or etrog in Hebrew is held together with a palm frond, a myrtle branch and a willow branch and waved by the congregation while singing prayers in the synagogue. You might also be interested to know that among Jews of Eastern Europe, the traditional dish of their Sukkot holiday is stuffed cabbage. Oh, fantastic. We also had some citron jam or marmalade at breakfast, which was very nice. Lionel, one other thing about sort of the theological aspect to all of this our friends from bidon the official giro podcast went to the museum the citron museum on the route yesterday santa maria di cedro and the sort of curator of the museum there king king citron in this region he explained that academic studies have suggested that the the forbidden fruit in the bible and this this was based on putting together various elements that are written in the bible about the climate and you know the geography there's no local no no specific location is mentioned but there are obviously theories about where this all took place and studies have demonstrated or strongly suggest that the original forbidden fruit could not have been a an apple as is often thought and often portrayed but it must have been a citron i mean quite a bitter thing to bite into I mean, it may, uh, it's all falling into place for me now, this. Well, Lionel, this search for the Citron is turning out to be even more convoluted and probably more difficult to actually realise than the search for the, the quest for the stuffed cabbage in Hungary. I don't think we're going to do it. I saw eight AG2R La Mondiale Citrons at the finish. <laughs> I can't believe that you were suggesting, you were advocating just fobbing the listeners off, just pretending that <laughs> that the rather outsized lemon that we saw was actually a citron. What's the difference between an outsized lemon oh, you would know, and a citron? You would know. Oh, well. The search for the citron. Can we, can we find a citron in Napoli tomorrow? Or, is, or is, this, is it so local that this is our one chance? No, I think... I think you can get them in all of the south of Italy or most of the south of Italy, but we were on the Riviera of the Citrons yesterday, so it would have been, well, it was remiss of us not to get our hands on, if not a Citron itself, then some kind of Citron-related product. We should have bought some marmalade or there's also a famous drink made with it. We didn't we didn't do any of that. We had a bit of marmalade on our breakfast this morning, didn't we? Well, you did, you did, yeah. I didn't realise that's what it was until too late, so I didn't Talk- get to sample it. Talking of unfulfilled dreams, it was a great day for Kern Bauman. However, one thing he didn't do was take the Magliarosa. And just before I forget, he did admit in his press conference that there was one point today where he thought about radioing the team car to ask if they had a Cervelo made up or painted up in pink in a size 54 for him. <laughs> bold, very bold. Um, well, no, I, I wondered whether Leonard Kemner might try to make a move for the pink jersey today. 38 seconds back he was on Juan Pedro Lopez. Lopez is, a, is too good a climber really for that. Rode pretty comfortably all through the day. And well, from speaking to one of Kemner's teammates this morning at the start, got the impression that 
it's softly, softly catchy monkey for Bora Hansgrohe. They've got these four riders in a fantastic position and they didn't want to do anything to jeopardise that on the first of these three significantly difficult days. As they got to the finish today, Kemner still second overall, Kelderman sixth, Jai Hindley 14th and Emmanuel Buchmann 21st. This morning I spoke to their young Austrian teammate Patrick Gamper about this four-pronged attack that Bora Hansgrohe have. I mean, obviously for our, me as a helper it's a bit difficult with four leaders um, because you have to take care as best as possible for all of them. To be honest, we also don't have a clear number one or a ranking if you want. So obviously they all had their difficulties before the start of the Giro. Actually, we are pretty lucky how it is going because uh, all four of them uh, are in good shape here, are in contention, didn't lose time so far. So we just take it as it is and uh, try to use it more as a, yeah opportunity for us to play uh, in the stages to come than seeing it as a, as a burden to have four leaders. How do you, other four, divide up the responsibility? Do you have one leader each or do you swap days? Um, different responsibilities, fetching bottles, working on positioning how do you work it out each day i mean we have all our uh, tasks like uh, for positioning and uh, other guys for the bottles uh, but as we are here like for me uh, and uh, cesare benedetti it's uh, more the work in the flat for aliotti and ben Zwiehoff, it's more the work in the in the climbing stages uh, that's how we divide it uh, and uh, yeah for the rest we just uh, try to stay as compact as team as possible like to stay all together as long as possible and what do you think a chance to take the pink jersey today maybe yeah maybe but i think yeah lenny cannot force it i think he but he's a very good rider to catch every chance he gets like to, like, to really use the opportunities he gets uh, but yeah we will see if it works it's it's really cool for the team and will be like an extra uh, but yeah, obviously you cannot force it and yeah, have to take it as it comes. And if you still have four leaders on Sunday night, I mean, it will be the perfect first week, but it makes the second and third week even more difficult for the rest of you. Yeah, exactly. The, I expect a lot of work for me to, to come up, to be honest. Yeah, honestly, I, I'm, I'm really happy to be here and uh, to have this uh, team here that really goes for a podium in Verona. Well, Daniel, yellow card for me as well, because I actually posed my question to Patrick Gamper in the form of a football analogy, referring to the, the four Bora Hansgrohe riders as kind of the perfect midfield. But we don't know who the number 10 is and we don't know who the number six is. You know, who's in the kind of defensive role, who's trying to probe and, and open up the other team's defences. I mean, I think as an analogy, it works absolutely perfectly. But they've got these four riders. And as uh, Gamper was saying there, the only downside to this is that it means that all, at the moment all of the rest of the work, fetching bottles, protecting from the wind if there is any, moving through the peloton, falls on just the other four and that's spreading them fairly thinly. Do you know what we should do, Lionel, which we haven't done yet? We should go and look at the team car and check the position of the bikes on the roof rack. That's always a good way of ascertaining who is the real leader. What would, you, what would your guess be? I would guess that... Wilco Kelderman would be back right, which is prime position. Yeah. And front right, which I think is second position, would be... Ooh, I think I, it would be Emmanuel Buchmann. Possibly, but I, I may... Would, it, uh, would they change the order now with Kemner in second place overall? That's a good I don't question. Know. That's a good question. And of course, well, they also have Jai Hindley, Jai Rule, as we christened him at the Giro, came very close to winning the Giro in 2020. I spoke to him this morning as well, rather shamefully failed to activate my recorder, so we're not going to hear from Jai Hindley. But 
I asked him out of 100 how he would rate his current condition and how the Giro's gone so far and he sort of giggled and hesitated and he said well about 95 wow very confident indeed not quite wow. Kern Bauman size 54 Savello confident but still quite bullish and it's not been an easy year for Jai Hindley since that breakthrough performance in the Giro has it but Bora seemed to be firing this year we talked earlier in the year didn't we about when we talked with Rolf Aldag who they'd taken on board this year and and they've really changed their focus or, or zeroed in on the Grand Tours and so far so good um, it can all turn to sand and turn to dust very quickly we've seen this before after the first mountain stage but they must be absolutely thrilled with where their three sort of nominal notional GC leaders GC contenders really I think they're they are contenders for overall victory where they currently are. And Jai Hindley, Lionel, in the next couple of days, well, when we get to Blockhouse, he'll be riding in a region that he knows very well because unlike most foreigners that come to Italy and ride as amateurs, um, that was where he settled and where he got a, a gig with a smallish under-23 team and that was really made his where he made his way into the pro ranks. Most riders go to Lombardy or, or the Veneto or Tuscany, but Hindley will know that area of Italy very well. Yeah, we talk a lot about these combinations of riders, don't we? And, and imagine that teams with two or three, or in this case, four well-placed riders overall have a significant advantage. But of course, if one or two of them blow up on Blockhouse, one, it might simplify things for them, um, it would certainly give them another couple of workers, wouldn't it, for the, the second half of the Giro. But surely the dream scenario is for them to get to Blockhouse in exactly this situation with all four of them very well placed. And then they can start making their decisions rather than having them dictated to them. Ben Zwiehoff has been keeping a audio diary, a audio diary, an audio diary for us during the Giro, along with James Knox of Quickstep and Pavel Sivakov of Ineos Grenadiers. On that, on that, the a audio diary... Disappointing lack of reaction to our revelation that Rick Zabel's father was actually E-Rick Zabel. Zabel. I mean, I, maybe it was just too surreal for people. Yeah, it was like a yeah. kind of magic eye painting of podcasting. They, uh, they couldn't quite understand what on earth we were talking about. Are there any other E riders in the peloton? I don't know. Zwiehoff. Knox and Sivakov have been sending in their dispatches telling the story of their races and we will package those up or when I say we our excellent team of producers will package those up and we'll put them out on Sunday's stage and also on Monday when we will be doing a press conference Daniel we weren't sure if we wanted to face questions were we from the general public you know um, but we've decided that we will do a press conference episode on Monday if you want to send in a question please do so. We'd love you to record your question and send it as an audio file. Try and keep them to 60 seconds if you possibly can so we've got the chance to play as many of them probably, as possible. Probably no, nothing biblical because we'll get it wrong. No, no, There's another <laughs> biblical reference coming later which I'm bound to fudge again. No, no biblical questions please. Nothing about football obviously. Go to thecyclingpodcast.com and on there you can see the email address to uh, send your questions to and we'll also put that information in the show notes send in your questions before Sunday night so we have a chance to uh, re listen to them and uh, do some research I guess The Cycling Podcast at the 2022 Giro d'Italia is supported by Science and Sport Science and Sport fueled by science Science and Sport do lots of lemon and lime flavoured things uh, 
influenced by the giant lemon slash citron, no doubt. And all of our listeners can get 25% off by going to sciencesport.com and using the code SISCP25. Back-to-back stages, riders will need to uh, fuel up with carbohydrate. And one way to do that effectively is with beta fuel, which means that you're consuming the carbohydrate in the form of a drink rather than having to eat and digest a load of food, which in its own way costs energy digesting lots of food it's much more efficient to consume carbohydrate when training and racing uh, by taking it in drink form so go to scientistsport.com and the code for the discount is SISCP25 Daniel tomorrow I'm really excited about tomorrow's stage because I've never been to Napoli to Naples it's a city that intrigues me not least because sorry everyone there's a rich football history and it's the hometown of the great Chiro Scognamilio. I mean, who's the bigger figure in Napoli? Diego Maradona, the Argentinian footballer who led them to the Scudetto twice, including the very first uh, Italian League Championship that Napoli won, I think, that was 1987. Or Chiro Emilio, who has moved up north to seek fame and fortune as Gazzetta della Sport's chief cycling writer. I mean, it's a toss-up, isn't it? Are there murals on the sides of buildings of Chiro in Napoli? Well, we'll find out tomorrow, Lionel. I don't know who is the bigger hero, but Chiro Emilio will certainly be an excellent tourist guide for us tomorrow, as we found out, indeed, earlier today. Well, Chiro, the importance of tomorrow cannot be overestimated. It might be the most important day in the history of the Giro d'Italia. Giro d'Italia founded in 1909, we're now in 2022. So in those 113 years, I'm not sure we've ever had a bigger day. How do you feel going home, the Giro's bringing you home? Really well for a main reason. If everything goes smoothly, on Saturday night, I'm not supposed to sleep in an hotel, but I'm supposed to sleep at home. And this is a great difference, dear listeners, you can imagine. Chira, give us a a tourist guide to Napoli. What are the greatest things about Napoli? What do you love about Napoli? I'm not going to answer beaches and sea. Not for this time, dear listeners, because in Naples, because in Naples, there are things that are not immediately visible, but they are really nice. So in my opinion, for example, there is all the city under the level of the sea. Uh, in Italian, we say sotterranea. So underground city. Exactly, exactly. The underground city for a tourist, in my opinion, it's very worth seeing. Then, if you love art it's not my case obviously because i love other stuff not arts but there is the cristo velato in cappella san severo uh, really beautiful and uh, the archaeological museum also Chiro, you almost never talk about food you never talk about pizza what's the secret i mean neapolitan pizza for example is the latest big food fad fashion in berlin there are neapolitan pizza joints showing up everywhere and there well people are surprised when they first have neapolitan pizza by how thick the crust is particularly the outside of the crust 
what are the secrets what are the cardinal rules of pizza making in napoli i don't think you've ever been a pizzaiolo yourself but no no not yet no i i never i never cook in my life dear listeners eh? never yeah, a coffee course. no you know you already know this so for napolitan people that's a whole episode a whole kilometer zero how do you eat i mean there are oh, fortunately i'm a very lucky man because all around the world i find people who cook for me so it's marvelous i don't spend i don't have to spend the time for cooking because i find people that do this for me but going back to pizza well the secret for napolitan's people is the water it's the water eh? i don't know if it's true or not but uh, people from naples are convinced on, on, of this water is the secret and i can tell you a secret maybe never told in my life to nobody you Keep know your that, voice down that, that you know that when i'm outside naples so the 90 percent or the 80 percent of my year uh, between milan uh, races other stuff i never eat pizza i eat pizza only in naples only in my hometown because in my opinion nowhere in the world i can find in the world in, my, in all my trips i found pasta well done also every other dish of the italian cuisine but not pizza so pizza only naples dear listener the napoli pizza is smaller with the thicker crust but what about the toppings what should go on in neapolitan pizza no uh, i mean in my opinion uh, the only two real pizzas are uh, the classic margherita so with mozzarella and uh, marinara not with mozzarella but with uh, garlic uh, i mean oregano how much does a marinara cost in naples four or five euros no more can cost also more you can find in naples now this kind of stuff pizza gourmet don't believe in this stuff dear listeners that does exist don't trust but you can find a good margarita or a good marinara in naples also around three and five euros not more not so so just tomato or mozzarella they're the only choice if we don't put ham or or or, or chicken i mean i mean it's it's more or less when you see a person drink a cappuccino after after a lunch but what does it mean lionel i mean don't choke on this dear listeners we are not talking about cycling but we are talking about serious stuff i mean food so never pineapple on a pizza never a cappuccino after the lunch never dear listeners well Lionel, a, a different and unusual musical introduction uh, for chiro there or sole mio it's the quintessential neapolitan song however however this is very topical conceived this song not in Naples, but in where? The Ukraine. In where? In Hertfordshire. Where in Hertfordshire? No. <laughs> Ukraine. Really? It was written, or well, certainly the gentlemen, really, because it was two gentlemen who came up with it. They had the idea when one of them was in Odessa, in Ukraine, looking out over the Black Sea, I think watching the sun either set or or rise and um, well these gentlemen Eduardo Di Capua and Giovanni Capurro 
first one was the musician. He was touring in the Ukraine. The second one was a poet and his friend, and he'd given Capua, the, he'd already given Capua some words to make into a song, and then the melody, I think, came to Capua when he was looking out over the Black Sea from Odessa in 1898. Another, well, a cycling link to that song, we've mentioned this before, but our old friend Dino Zandegu won the Tour of Flanders in 1967, and he was already known at that time as quite a gifted singer, a troubadour, and live on Italian TV, well, they asked him to sing a song in celebration, and he sang O Sole Mio. The Giro doesn't go to Napoli very often, does it? The last time was 2013, stage one, won by Mark Cavendish. And the time before that was in 1996, Mario Cipollini. And then you have to go back to 1979 for Francesco Moser's win there. I'm talking about stage finishes, of course. Lots of starts there, I think, for the Giro. I mean, my stereotypical idea of Napoli is chaotic. You know, everyone driving the wrong way up one-way streets and across one another. Can't be worse than Catania, can it? I, well, I don't know, but it's bigger, isn't it? So even, you know, three times the chaos. Um, but I also think of sort of a really hot, vibrant city. Obviously, Pompeii is... Uh, well, we're staying very close to that. We're staying in Eboli tonight. Um, I was threatening to take you to Pompeii. Well, I would be keen to go to Pompeii because you poo-pooed my other idea. But I found well, you that wanted to go on a pizza-making course I or did. something. I did. I wanted to go and make authentic Neapolitan pizza at a restaurant where you make your own pizza and then, I assume, eat your own pizza. You'll be telling me you want to go paintballing next. <laughs> um, Lionel, <laughs> a final attempt at a biblical reference. It's not really a biblical reference. Um, again, I will stuff this up. Um, we're staying tonight in Eboli, near Pompeii. It's famous. Eboli is famous in Italy for one thing. It's the title of a novel written by the famous anti-fascist author Carlo Levi called... Christ or Jesus stopped at Eboli and he was sort of suggesting with the title of that book that was where civilization ended at if one was coming from the coast and Salerno civilization ended at Eboli and anything beyond that was wild and anti-Christian and immoral so well, we're in Eboli so I don't know where that situates us we're, we're right on the threshold of civilization your, your bedroom in our bed and breakfast might be on one side and mine might be on the other. Wow. Wow. Well, we'll see, won't we? Before we get the Giro del Buffalo for this evening, classifications corner. Let's just do it. Let's just, let's just confirm the various classifications in the Giro. Of course, the big four, everyone knows. The pink jersey is the race on time. The Ciclumino jersey is the points competition, similar to the green jersey at the Tour de France. The King of the Mountains competition, the jersey is blue. Uh, the Azura, I mean, it's, a, it's the Italian national team colours, isn't it? Blue. And the white jersey for best young rider. Um, and together, I don't know the origins of the Ciclamino because it used to be red, the points competition, didn't it? So the, the jerseys were, at various times, the King of the Mountains has been green, so the, the, they've been green, white and red and then pink. But the blue, they, they find a link to Italy some way or another, but... I don't know the origin of the Ciclamino jersey, but it's very attractive, I think. Well, that's our next assignment to find out. Anyway, there's a few kind of side competitions as well. The TV Generale competition, it's basically an intermediate sprint competition. There's a sprint on the course and a cumulative points. And at the moment, uh, Taliani of Dronehopper leads bias of Dronehopper. I say at the moment that's actually from last night's results because the official Giro results come through so late that we don't have them for recording the podcast 
The Fuga Bianchi competition is the breakaway competition for most kilometres spent in the break. And yesterday, Bias led Taliani. There's a combativity prize, which is uh, signified by a red number for the daily winner. And that's this year voted for on Twitter, a Twitter poll. Wow. I've got an answer for you. The Chiclamino was the colour of the sponsor in the 60s when the jersey was created. And the sponsor was a company called Termozeta. I don't know what they did. It was in 1970 it was introduced. Oh, they, they made ice cream, Lionel. That's what they did. By the way, did you see, when you came to this bar this evening, did you notice the size of the queue at the ice cream parlor just down the road? There's an ice cream parlor called Caruso. Caruso, of course, well, Damiano Caruso was second in the Giro last year. There have been various Caruso's over the years who have ridden the Giro. The points competition in the Giro only started in 1966, a relatively new one, Gianni Motta won. Anyway, the other competitions, there's a team competition for the best team taken on the um, stage times of best riders each day and then added up. And then there's a fair play competition and currently 17 squads are tied on zero points. You can only, you can only tarnish your... Uh, your perfect score of zero by foul play. UAE got 150 points, I'm assuming largely because of Gaviria's relegation yesterday. But various infractions such as um, sticky bottle or uh, throwing litter away in the wrong place or visiting the toilet in view of the public, they're the sorts of things that get riders a fine and a points deduction and uh, penalise them in the fair play competition. Let's keep an eye on that and see who the fairest team is by the time we get to Verona. Another cock-up. Termozeta don't make ice cream. They didn't make ice cream. They make ice cream makers and irons and wow. things of that ilk. Or they, they did. I think they still do. So the ice cream maker makes the ice cream. Uh, who yeah. makes the Should ice cream maker? Let's move on. Let's move on. And who's we, the ice cream maker maker? Before we get oh. anything else wrong. Giro del Buffalo. Yesterday, we had a clip from Pinerolo talking about an incident that occurred in Pinerolo in 2019. The next day, we were up very high the, on the Colle del Nivole and we went down the mountain and Julie made it to our evening accommodation and it was quite memorable wasn't it Lionel you'll also hear in this clip a reference to Balka Mollemar and some mirth about a tactic that Balka Mollemar had employed in that Giro we had discovered that he was trying a novel a novel new method of sort of getting his heart rate up at the bottom of important climbs he was stopping to relieve himself supposedly this is what we learned and not getting any help for his teammates to come back to the peloton and this was a way of sort of warming up for a, a big climb anyway here we are il giro del buffalo remembering reach and more Took that quite seriously, didn't he, Charles? He's a serious man, isn't yeah. he, uh, Balcomolima? Very, very aptly uh, in the Val d'Aosta. I don't know whether it was. It's serious doesn't have to be negative, but Val d'Aosta has um, uh, the highest suicide rate of all the Italian regions. And um, Why? There was a study last year which showed that the Val d'Aosta has the highest proportion of negative tweets of any Italian region. Really? So, you know, can you look around you, Lionel. Can you see why? Is that uh, closed yeah. in by the mountains, maybe? I don't know. Yeah. Split identity, don't know whether they're French we, we or Italian. We closed in last night in our accommodation, didn't we? Oh my word, that is another story though. Wow. Are we going to talk about that this? Was, that was up there with the um, police raid on our hotel in Assisi last year. It was up there with the night that Simon the photographer and I on the Vuelta 
ended up in a place, a very remote place where a, there was a bat in my bedroom and uh, the man it, who was preparing our dinner and sat and watched us eat dinner at really quite close quarters while the song Hallelujah in various versions, including the Leonard Cohen original, played on a loop on the TV screen in the dining room. Well, last last night, night was almost as Last weird. night there were questionable politics, there was a handgun being brandished and invitations extended to go and hunt pheasants at six o'clock in the morning and talk of orgies. Oh, we were invited into <laughs> the. We were invited. Uh, it was a lovely place, it wasn't it? It was very, you know, we well. We won't reveal the identity. No, it was very. No, no, or the location. <laughs> it was, you know, it was very well appointed. The bedrooms were nice. I mean, it was an old mill, wasn't it? And a lot of that had been preserved. Clearly, he was very proud of his uh, place. But basically, we ate dinner with the proprietor at his little round kitchen table in his own personal kitchen watching some pretty pretty dubious television I mean if we talk I mean I'm not even sure I can convey accurately save it for your Giro diary Lionel Um, but we were served quite a nice meal on plastic plates I mean it just got weirder and weirder didn't it anyway anyway the great shame is my favourite moment was the text message that we both received this morning Lionel which said said, let me know when you're at breakfast. I'm too scared to go on my own. <laughs> Which I was. <laughs> Which I was. Anyway. Well, Daniel, I mean, that was a very napalm-heavy episode of Giro del Buffalo, but I remember that night so well. And um, it was Richard's ability to kind of deliver the, the you know, the, the, the punchline. Uh, I was waffling on about how awkward it had been and you know how frightened I was by this guy and, and, and Richard just kind of summed the whole evening and morning up uh, in one gag which was revealing to the public that I'd sent both of you a, a, a text message expressing my concern about having to have breakfast with this guy all on my own Well Lionel, speaking of the heritage of the cycling podcast at the Giro d'Italia um, Amara Terra have been with us pretty much throughout haven't well, they have been with us since 2016 they are very generously offering our listeners to buy their music on Bandcamp. So the address is Amara Terra. That's two R's. Well, it's three R's actually, but um, in the second part of the word, it's two R's. Dot Bandcamp dot com. You can buy all of their releases on there. And during the Giro, the proceeds of their sales will go towards a cause chosen by Richard Moore's family. Amara Terra have also got a new album coming out, which is named after a great variety, Malvasia. We decided that this evening we'd play you out, we'd tease a bit of their new music with a song called Donna de Cope. Um, again, it's written in dialect, so I wasn't entirely sure of the meaning of this, but Alfredo from Amara Terra reliably informs me that this song is about a gentleman that was a bit of a Casanova in his time, a bit of a ladies' man. Um, and, and, well, certainly love was in the air in his life. I mean, as a rider at this Giro d'Italia, I have to tell you, listeners, who has been conspicuous through his PDAs, who is public displays of affection. There was one again this morning. Um, he's a sprinter, I would say. The problem with saying <laughs> that is you're now casting aspersions over all the sprinters, okay. some of whom may well be married. Okay, well, it's not Mark Cavendish, it's not Caleb Ewan, it's not. Let's rattle through the oh, ones that it's not. Arno Demar. It's definitely not Arno Demar. It's a younger chap, anyway. Yeah, he's obviously in a new relationship. I, if I had to, if I had to guess. Yes. 
Yes, he hasn't won a stage yet. And, you know, we wish him all the best. So here is Donna de Coppe by Amaraterra. Donna de Coppe mia, Donna de Coppe, Donna de Coppe mia, Donna de Coppe. Tu si la regine, tu si la regine, tu si la regine la delegate. Mo delegate, mo delegate, tu si la regine la delegate. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freib and Lionel Burney. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.